Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast and to my sermons podcast. We are rounding up the, uh, we're coming to the end of my my time pastoring um, our local church here as uh, my pastor is coming back from his sabbatical and will take over for me, well, he'll resume his his duties, uh, not this week, but the week after. And so uh, there's more in the book of Philippians than I have time for, which is frustrating me a little bit, but not too much. Uh, I have a podcast, so I'm able to podcast out a few thoughts. And in the sermon I preached last Sunday on Four Enemies to Joy, we talked about joy. the gospel is about joy, Christianity is about joy. Um, I heard somebody preaching recently who said, the greatest enemy to your spiritual life is your emotions. And he said that really strongly and forcefully, the greatest enemy to your spiritual life is your emotions. And I thought, ah, that's not quite right. Uh, and then he explained, well, you know, you're going to want to do your devotion. You're going to know intellectually that you should read your Bible, but your emotions will say, I don't feel like it right now, so you need to fight against your emotions. I mean, there there is truth to that. I, I get where he's coming from. But Christianity is about joy. And yes, sometimes you need to push through those times when it's not fun. But what are you pushing towards? Joy. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. It's the same as, oh, I'm getting distracted into my sermon here, but, it, you know, it's like, how do you live a happy life? Well, you know, you work out, you eat right, you choose your friends well, you work towards a good career, you love your kids, you invest in your family. Does that mean moment by moment, every moment is going to be fun? No, it's not fun to work out. It's not fun to, you know, control your diet. It's not fun to make good decisions all the time. But you're moving yourself towards a meaningful life, a joy-filled life. And that's what Christianity is, only it's joy in the Lord. It's, it's returning to the one who made us and who is seeking after us. It's returning to that, that place of, of unity and fellowship with God. So that is joy. The enemies of joy are legalism, this man-made religion, trying to make ourselves look good in God's sight, putting our confidence in our own efforts, our own flesh, as Paul puts it. Another enemy to joy is feeling like we're done, like we've done the religious thing, now I can go on with my life. Got the get-out-of-hell-free card, and now I can just move on. Another enemy to joy is um, sensuality or just living for the day living for, only living this life for this life. And I mentioned that's Epicureanism. Uh, and Paul says they're not joy there. The joy is found in living this life for the next life. And our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await our Savior, who will transform our mortal bodies, who will take us to heaven with him. There's no joy in living life for the moment. Because, spoiler alert, um, life does not get better and better. You know, no matter, I could almost say this confidently, no matter what age you are, this is really depressing, but it's the truth. It's going to get worse from here. I mean, unless you're, you're a fairly young kid or teenager, you got some good years ahead of you where you're going to have a lot of health, you're going to have, probably be fairly wealthy, have a lot of autonomy, you know, those are good years coming up. 
But, you know, I'm sitting here at 35 and I know 40 is coming. After that is 50 and then 60 and then 70 and maybe 80, 90 if I get there. And, I, you know, when I visit my grandmother, you know, it's, it's hard. Uh, her, her life is difficult because she's 95. So if you're only living this life for this life, it's pretty depressing. You're going to start singing along to, uh, to Adele and, you know, at 25 feel like your life is over or, you know, the years before were so much better and, you know, singing about when we were young and all this sort of sadness. Epicureanism is not the direction towards joy. Joy is being united with our Heavenly Father in our spirits and knowing that we're going to a better place. In this life, even though there is tremendous suffering and disappointments and hardships in this life, it makes sense because it's this is part of something that's going to continue for eternity. And our moments and our decisions today have an impact in the future. And the last enemy to joy he talks about is, I urge Eudia and I urge Sintichi to live in harmony in the Lord, in Philippians 4.2. Indeed, your companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So this, I was listening to the sermon again, and I realized I spent about 20 seconds on this last enemy to joy. Um, our new place, we're, we're now meeting in a senior citizen's home, and it's really important that we keep the sermon short so that they can we can fit it into their schedule and they can go on to the meal next. And, and you know, elderly people in the in the residence, they're, they're on a schedule and we need to fit within that. So I, I went over my time limit a little bit. It was supposed to be 25 minutes, so it was 28 minutes. I had to cram it in there. There's so much I wanted to say about this last thing, about the last enemy to joy, this fourth enemy to joy, is division. And it specifically mentions these two women, Yudi and Sintichi, and says, live in harmony in the Lord. And then he mentions, um, he doesn't say who. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my cause of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers. So he's writing to somebody, it doesn't mention who. Uh, that would be interesting to find out. Is the primary recipient of this letter. And also, he mentions Clement. You guys, please help these two women get along. So you two women get along, and also the rest of the church help these women get along. And this is a really interesting passage, because it's it's very striking I mean, if you can just imagine this, right? Somebody sends you your church a letter that's going to be read aloud in front of the whole church. And it's all filled with this generic sort of, not generic, but, you know, live your attitude towards Christ and, and be a good person. And this is what the gospel means. And don't go the direction of, of legalism and don't go the direction of hedonism and, you know, live according to the, to the pattern of Christ. And then he mentions two people, not positively, because he has had positive role models, but he mentions negatively, Yudia and Sintichi, please get along. Ouch. Like, that's pretty harsh to, to call two people out specifically like that. And this, in some ways, I mentioned this in the previous podcast, but this, in some ways, is one of the one of the central points of the book, as far as I'm concerned. There's two main things that's going on in the book. The one thing is that Paul is saying, thank you for the gift they, that they've given him. And the other thing is that Paul is trying to address this issue of disunity in the church. 
And so he says, Eudia and Sintichi, please get, live in harmony in the Lord. And the rest of the church, please help these women get along in the Lord. And when you understand that, that the book is kind of leading towards this place, and Paul has been coming back and back and back to the same sorts of information over and over, so that he's laid the groundwork, so that at the end of the letter he's going to say this, and it's going to smart, and, and these two ladies are probably not going to be, be able to hear a whole lot that he's going to say after that because it's going to hurt. They're going to be a little bit offended by that. And so he wants to pack in as much information as he can before that and also to come at the same issue from many different directions. So what I want to mention about this is this is a church that had issues. This is a church that had divisions. This is a church that that was struggling. They weren't struggling with the gospel. We can tell this by how Paul writes them. If you if you read the epistle to the Galatians, Paul just lays it out there. You guys have abandoned the gospel. You have fallen from grace. I wish that people, the people that were disturbing you would castrate themselves. If anybody preaches a gospel other than what I preached to you, let them be condemned or cursed. Anathema. So, Paul is very clear in the book of Galatians, you guys have lost the gospel. And he wants them to, to get back to the gospel and understand what it is. That's not where the Philippian church is. They understand what the gospel is. They're sharing the gospel. They're helping Paul with the gospel. So that's not their issue. Their issue also is not immorality. He mentions it here just briefly. There's two verses here on immorality. That's it, just two verses. So for... First and Second Corinthians are full of verses against immorality. Don't you know that if somebody joins himself with a prostitute, he has become one flesh with her? Shall then the flesh of Christ become one flesh with the flesh of a prostitute? Um, don't you know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? And, and he goes on and on and on because this church needed that. And they even had members of their church sleeping with their mother-in-law, which is you know clearly forbidden. And, and the mother-in-law or something like that. That's not the issue here. This is a Bible-believing church that is engaged in sharing the gospel and supports missionaries. The problem is that they have deep disunity. And if anybody has lived through any sort of church disunity or any sort of disunity, you know that it can feel very hard to know how to resolve it because... There's past history, past hurt. She said this, he said this. You know, you're on the outside looking in. You don't know what these two women have said to each other. You don't know who is right. Maybe you heard one side of the story. You're like, I think there's another side of the story, but I haven't heard it. How can we help these people get along? And if you're in the middle of it, you know, things were said that should never be said. Maybe you said some things, but you don't really want, don't feel like you need to say sorry because the other person said these things to you. There's maybe doctrinal issues where I see things slightly differently than they do. Um, there's just, it's like this huge tornado of, of nastiness, and it can feel so hard to know how to deal with it. So Paul's solution is not to say one or the other is correct. Paul's solution is not to dive into the details of what doctrinal issues they might have between them if the, if there were doctrinal issues you know people disagree about things all the time and when people are in a conflict of some sort often they'll find things how should i say this if you ask anybody 
in the world, anybody in your life, if you ask them enough questions, you'll realize that you don't agree with them on something. No matter who it is, unless they don't have an opinion on anything. But any normal adult person, if you ask them enough questions, you're going to find something on which you do not agree. If there's, you have a conflict with somebody and you, you are not friends with them, usually the, the things on which you do not agree seem to become more of an issue. And so to me it seems likely that there's something on which Yudia and Sintichi don't agree. He doesn't go into the past hurt, things said, things done, uh, opportunities missed, um, you know, church services ruined or whatever. Likely there was some history, likely things happened that shouldn't have happened, likely things were said that shouldn't have been said. He doesn't go there. He doesn't go into the past history to try and sort things out. What does he do? What's Paul's recipe for putting a church back together that has been that has really been deeply divided through strife and through um, through these two women not living in harmony in the Lord? His answer is basically the book of Philippians, which is why I've been finding it so rich. And people have told me over and over um, that this book has just brought them so much life uh, as we've looked at it. So he he models, I'm just going to go through Philippians and tell you how he addressed this church. From the very beginning, he modeled humility. He doesn't present himself as Mr. Apostle, as he does in almost all of his other letters. He says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus. That's it. That's his title. Paul, my name is Paul, and I'm a servant of Jesus. That's it. He doesn't call himself an apostle. He doesn't call himself anything. And you can compare the introductions of some of his other epistles to see how striking that is. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. So he calls them saints. He calls them the holy ones. You are saved. This applies to everybody in the church. In Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. This is the only letter that he specifically mentions the titles of the people that he's that are receiving the letter. And then he tells them how much he loves them. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So thank you guys for supporting me and helping me. He's going to reaffirm this at the end of the letter that there are no other churches that stood by me like you guys have. You guys have been with me all the way. Thank you so much for for giving me uh, the financial means to continue my work. And I love you, and you are part of my ministry, and thank you. And then he talks about, gives some personal information. I'm in prison, but I want you to know that the gospel is being preached. And then he just lays this out there, that there are some people preaching the gospel from good motivations, because they care about Paul, they care about the gospel, and they care about the recipients. They want the world to be better. They want people to be better and to know Jesus and to have that peace and that calmness and that joy that comes from having that relationship with Jesus. And then he said, but there's some to be sure, verse 15, that are preaching Christ from self-envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. 
So there's some people, and I call these people the petty pastors of Philippians, um, who they're preaching the gospel. These are real Christians that understand the real gospel, which is nothing to, that's not something minor. These are real Christians that know the real gospel in the real early days of the church. These are rare people. And not only do they know the gospel, but they are preaching the gospel and making converts and making a difference in the world. So these are great people, but they have selfish motivations. And they have one-upmanship. And and one person is trying to say, well, I converted more people than you, or my church is bigger than your church, or... um, you know, I have these qualifications that you don't. And, and they're, they're being petty and they're being selfish and they're being competitive. And Paul says, you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad that the gospel is being preached. But he kind of lays out this hint that, you know, I'm, I, I'm glad no matter who's preaching the gospel, but I really like these people that are preaching out of love, with good motivations, out of a good heart, a clean Let's see if we can go through this and just talk about the good people. People, These are people, in verse 14, that have more courage to speak the word of God without fear. They do it out of love, in verse 16, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. In verse 18, they preach in truth. Yeah, preach in truth. So these are the good people. Wouldn't Wouldn't you rather be like that? Preach in truth, not in pretense out of a good heart of love. And then Paul goes into what his life is like, and he says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's living for for Christ. That's what he's living for. That's what his life is for. And he says very honestly, look, I'd rather just go home. You know, there's a court date coming up. I can pray either for for the death sentence, which is a, a very possible and likely outcome, or for freedom. And I, I would rather just have the death sentence and go home to be with my Lord, but rather I'm praying for freedom so that I can serve you, so that I can live my life for you. So Paul is not motivated by selfish ambition. He's motivated to serve. And he says, live according to the gospel in, in 1, 28, 27. Conduct yourselves in the manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, which is, you know, another very central verse in this, but... Then he moves into chapter 2, which really gets to the heart of it. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Be together. Have unity. Have unity. How? So what's what's his bottom line? How is he going to say to this church, overcome this, have this unity, I'm sure they're they're looking at this and saying we would love to have one mind and one heart and one purpose, but we have this division and we're wrestling with it. And she said this and she said this and, and they're back and forth and, and they can't sit down at the same table without there being fireworks. How do we get past this? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. This is your options. Who's more important? Yudia. Are you more important? Or is Sintichi more important to you? Sintichi. Who's more important? Are you more important to yourself? Are your ideas, your priorities, your your status, 
your accomplishments, having your voice proclaimed and your status, is that most important to you? Or do you care about your sister Yudia over here and how she's feeling? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And my Bible puts in italics all the words that were added for flow, because um, when you translate from one language to another, sometimes things just don't work, so you have to add words to make it grammatically fit. And this word merely was added. And so what this actually says in the Greek is stronger than what's in the English. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Don't, don't, Yudia, just stop caring about yourself for a minute. Just, Sintichi, just stop caring about yourself. Stop thinking about your own personal interests. And think about your sister. Think for a moment about what would make her day better. What would make her life better? What would, and you too, Yudia. What, what, I feel like I'm talking to my kids here. Um, being a dad gives you all sorts of experience. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you know that Jesus wasn't just God? He, was, he is God, made flesh. He's also a personal being. He is a personal God that has thoughts, feelings, a point of view, and he has an attitude. And his attitude is, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So you think you have status, whatever, whatever it is that Yudia or Sensichi felt like they had status, whether it's because they were one of the the founding members of the church. We know that the church was founded by a group of women, uh, of Jewish women that were meeting by the river to pray. It says in Acts. And this became the, the founding of the church. So maybe she was part, one of these people were part of the original group, or maybe one of them was from a wealthy family in, in town, or maybe one of them is per- currently named as a deacon in the church. As Phoebe was, as mentioned in the end of Romans, that women could be mentioned as deacons. So who knows what it was? Who knows what it was? But Jesus trumps all that. Jesus had the qualif- Jesus had the qualifications. He he existed in the form of God, but he did not consider that as something to be grasped onto. That wasn't something that he was going to hold on to with a closed fist. He emptied himself. He, he opened his hand up and let that go. Just as Paul modeled in the first chapter, he's an apostle. He has seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He has suffered more than the other apostles. He has planted more churches than them. He does not consider himself less than any of the apostles. He has had firsthand communication with Peter and with James. He has, as I mentioned in one sermon, he instigated the first church council of the of the church that decided the issue on circumcision and also established the pattern of having councils, which has continued to this day that the, the church you know is, is organized and governed by councils, especially the Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches. That's Paul. He's a big deal. But he starts the letter as Paul 
a bondservant of Christ Jesus. He doesn't cling to his authority. He lets it go. And Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Being found as appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Look, if you want real glory, you humble yourself and you serve. This is what Jesus taught. Anyone that wants to be first must become last. And the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if you want conflict to go away, this is the path. This is the path. And, and yes, there's forgiveness that needs to happen. And yes, at some point we need to deal with you know, the, the points of disagreement, whether they're do- doctrinal, theological, or practical, or whatever. But this is, the, this is what really matters, is not considering yourself to be the most important person in the room, but genuinely caring about the other person and their heart and what's going on in their lives. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. In my sermon, I'm not sure that I put enough emphasis on how much this is tied to attitude, because we tend to look at that verse, that fear and trembling verse, in isolation and exclusively in the question of salvation, which is mostly what I, how I dealt with it in the sermon. And I don't think that was wrong, but this ties in with the bigger message of Philippians, which is looking at Udia and Sintichi and the conflict that's happening at the church. And you know what comes before this is the attitude of Christ and what comes after this is do all things with grumbling without grumbling or disputing so we work out our salvation with fear and trembling there's a working we work our salvation how do we work with fear and trembling with reverence and trembling as some translations put it because this is a big deal because God is working within us because you know, we should live according, um, live a life worthy of the Gospels, it says in, in one twenty-seven. What does that look like? Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. How do you appear as lights in the world? It's not necessarily only because you have the right message, although having the right message is important, It's not necessarily only because you do good things, although doing good things is important. It's attitude. Attitude matters. And when you do all things without grumbling or disputing, whether that's in the workplace, or whether that's in the family, whether that's on a sports team, whether that's in some sort of a volunteer club, whatever you do, it says in in one... verse whatever your hand finds to do do it with all your might that's in ecclesiastes and it's echoed in i think hebrews also do it with all your might and also do it without grumbling or disputing having the attitude of christ not grumbling not disputing and then paul talks about himself again look he says look i'm being poured out like a drink offering 
my years, my time, my energy, my health, it's all getting poured out. I'm, I'm, I'm wasting away in prison. I'm wasting away with how hard I'm going as I'm planting churches, as I'm, as I'm pushing to share the gospel. But I rejoice because I'm investing in other people. That's an attitude that is going to bring unity to a church. Selfish ambition brings division. But the attitude of pouring yourself for, out for others, a little bit of that goes a long way. And that brings unity. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy works alongside of Paul. He has a kindred spirit with Paul. And he genuinely is concerned for their welfare. And then Paul mentions again, I don't have many people like him, for they all seek, in verse 21, after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. He says again, look, I've got a lot of people I could send you. They know what the gospel is, but they're all trying to start their own little ministries and their own little kingdoms. And they care a lot about themselves. And Paul, or Timothy, he cares about you. And he has a kindred spirit with me who also cares about you. And then he talks about Epaphroditus who came close to death for um, serving them. And, you know, he came out to Paul to serve Paul. And then once he got to Paul, he was concerned about the Philippian church. So he wants to go back and care for them. And there's no mention anywhere in this passage about either Epaphroditus or Timothy or Paul thinking about themselves, thinking about their own kingdoms or ministries or ambitions. They're living for the gospel. They're living for Jesus. They're living for the Philippians, serving the Philippians, caring for the Philippians, being poured out for the Philippians. And again, a little bit of that goes a long way to resolve conflict. And then we get to the passage we already talked about, that there's joy is at the center of this, and the enemies to joy are legalism, um, perfectionism, I called it, thinking that, you know, once you're saved, then that's it. You don't have to do anything else. Hedonism, thinking that life is about, the point of life is to be happy in this life, and there's nothing that comes after it. And divisions. So we're back to square one. We've kind of gone in a circle here. Therefore, my beloved, whom I long to see, my joy and crown... In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement, also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Live in harmony with, in the Lord and help others live in harmony in the Lord. How are you going to do that? How are you going to live in harmony with people that don't agree doctrinally with you that hurt you, that um, don't serve you all the time or any of the time sometimes. How are you going to live as unity? Have an attitude of humility and putting them first. And have an attitude that was like the one that was in Christ Jesus, who genuinely laid, let go of his rights to serve others. So that's pretty much what I wanted to add to uh, the sermon from before. And uh, I look forward to finishing off this series and talking about, um, I think we're going to talk about mental health in the next sermon. We'll see. 
and back and forth between the joy of giving, which is the main concern of Philippians 4, 10 to 18, and mental health, which, man, so many people that are struggling with that these days. Because in uh, chapter chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So there's a mental, there's a protection for our hearts and a protection for our minds in Christ Jesus, which to me speaks of mental health. And uh, I think that's probably what I'm going to preach on, but we'll see where the Spirit leads. Money is also important. Anyways, I hope that this is helpful to you, and uh, I'm going to sign off and go do some other things. God bless.